This is the Out of Water Podcast. Out of Water is a production of Rio Vista Community Church in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. You can find it on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. We hope you'll subscribe and give us a good rating to help others find Out of Water. Welcome, friends, to another edition of the Out of Water Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lautenschlager, pusher of buttons and maker of computer things go flashy flash extraordinaire. That's my official job title now, nice. making computer things go flashy flash. Uh, I'm the engineer. I don't know what I am. Um, joining me here is our pastor of spiritual formation, Reverend Sam Smith. Once again, it's just Sam and I in studio. We're talking about our series on the book of Ephesians at our church at Rio Vista Church. We finally, big news, we actually have a title for the series. When we recorded our introduction, which I hope you listened to already, if you didn't, it's up there. Go back and check it out, our intro to Ephesians. We have big news. We have a title for the series. And I actually like the title, One Body, One Mission. One Body, One Mission. That's right. I think that is a very apropos title for something that's based on the book of Ephesians. Yeah, it's like we talked about last time. The book is kind of split into two sections where the first half of it is all about Christ and what he's done for us and who he is and who we are in him. And so one body, and he is the head. And then the second half of the book is about, okay, what does that mean for our daily lives? And so the one body, that's the first three chapters. And then the what about it is the one mission, chapters four through six. And as we come to the point of understanding that idea of one body and the idea of unity, there are a lot of particulars along the way. Uh, we're going to be looking today in this episode at the first few verses, starting in verse three, going down to verse 15 or 14. 14. 14. And, uh, it, you know, Sam's got a really great outline for this. I, I really like how you've, how you've put this together. It, you know, one of the things I love about the scriptures is that it's not just random musings and random thoughts. I think a lot of people sometimes when they read the Bible, they feel like I can't understand that. It's like it just bounces all over the place, but there is a structure. There's a purpose to all of this. Sure. And when you begin to look at the passages that way, it, you know, it makes it much easier to understand and you begin to see the mind of God, you know, in this a little bit. Totally. You know, and that's really the theme here. We were, you were saying that we're going to be talking about the eternal mind of God. I mean, that obviously means that God is eternal, but I think it also means that God is unchanging within his own purposes. Correct. Would you agree with that? Totally agree with okay. that. So if we say to somebody who's maybe not indoctrinated in uh, Christianese, is our official, yeah. official language, how would we start off by answering what the eternal mind of God is? <laughs> that's, a that's, big, a, that's a big question. That's, that's a big question. Big, a big question. Yeah. Um, so I, I would put it this way, like, I would say that in our modern Western American view of the way religion is, or Christianity is, even in the church to some Mm -hmm. extent, there's this view that God is there, humanity's kind of along, and God is crossing his fingers hoping that everything works out, and he's at war with the devil, and, you know, we're hoping that we win, and, you know, hopefully this turns out the way he wants to. And Ephesians, which of all the books of the Bible, lifts up the sovereignty of God to a level that does not allow that view, smashes it to smithereens. Mm. And what it says is, before God hurled the galaxies into place, long before then, he had written a story in his mind that he fell in love with, that just gave him great pleasure. 
and he knew it from the very first moment of his creation, and he knows how it will go on for eternity. That has been fixed in his mind, and there is nothing that will veer that story even one iota off track of where he has willed it to go. Mm -hmm. And so God is the author of our salvation. God is the author of all history. This story was in his mind from before the beginning, and nothing is going to change the plot line, the climax, the ending, the happy, happy, happy ending, Mm -hmm. and what he is seeking to gain in us for all of eternity. Personal observation from my perspective, I became a a Christian without necessarily understanding that idea that God had had this eternal perspective toward me. And what this did for me to understand that, when I recognized that I'm not a mistake, that that you and I Correct. being involved with this, that we're we're not mistakes, we're not random. We didn't we didn't sneak in, we didn't disappoint God in some way, like, you know, ah, now those guys are here, anyone can come in. <laughs> but you know, but this idea that God wants us, and I like what you said there, this idea that that God had a story that he fell in love with. Oh, and and here's the idea. You know, long before the universe existed, God and the Trinity was eternally present. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had been in this perfect relationship, absolutely adoring one another. Just the infinity of love and purity and holiness and glory existing all by himself, totally satisfied in himself. And the idea of creation is this God is so abundant in his goodness, so abundant in his love that it's, it's like he overflows and he wants to share himself with a creation that he's made. And he shares himself in such a way that it is going to be most beautiful for his creation to just bask in him. To, it's almost like being invited to join the, the pleasures of the Trinity, to know that kind of love, that kind of infinite fellowship forever. And he's laying out a story that's going to make it the absolute most beautiful for us and the absolute most glorious for him. Well, that is a glorious backdrop to be able to start talking about Ephesians on. Folks, if this doesn't make you interested in understanding the book of Ephesians, I can't help you. It's like, <laughs> I can't help you. So we can, we can refer you to other podcasts, I guess. The other podcasts. <laughs> and let's start, with, let's start with verse three. Now, how did you break this, the chapter down here? How did... You told me about it, but explain to the other folks the, the structure that you have here. Yeah, sure. Well, to be honest, it was my wife who actually got me on this track. And what, what she noticed was, if you start in verse 3 and you go through verse 14, this is actually every English teacher's nightmare. Because <laughs> <laughs> if you were asked to grammatically diagram verse 3 to 14, it's one run-on sentence. And what you gain out of that is it makes it seem like Paul is – like if you read it without pausing to really see what he's saying, it, it's almost like you're thinking, okay, Paul, are you in stream of consciousness now? Because it, <laughs> it's like he's so excited he can't take a breath. He just keeps going and going and going and adding on. And we add punctuation because we, we can't we, we handle need it. To. We can't handle <laughs> yeah. it. And so we add the punctuation. But really this is one sentence that Paul just lays out with clause after clause after clause. And what we need to do is realize those clauses are on purpose. Mm-hmm. They actually help us to understand. And so, for example, one of the things that, that Laura, my wife, pointed out to me 
uh, when we were looking at this passage, she says, do you know how often it repeats particular things? And I said, what do you mean? And she says, well, look at how many times it says in him or in Christ, these things that we have. And I mean, you can go through verse three, I'd challenge, take out your Bible or, or look at verses three to 14, and you're going to see that God has blessed us in Christ, that we are chosen in him, that we're holy and blameless in him. We have redemption in him. His will is found in him. All things are united in him. We have an inheritance in him. The, the promise is sealed in the Holy Spirit in him. And so it's, it's this repetition. And what it leaves unmistakably clear is Paul is getting really excited about all these things that we have in Jesus right. that would have been mind-blowing, right? Mind-blowing. But what it's saying is it's not you, it is not your effort. It's not about what you do. It's not about what you bring. It's not about how religious you are or righteous you are. It's not about how bad you are or how much shame you carry. All of this is available to you in him. And so grab hold of him. Yield your life to him. Trust your life. Give over to him. And all of these promises are yours as a gift of grace, mm-hmm. but it's all in him. It's not about you. I wonder if the excitement level, you know, Paul's, you know, I'm, I'm so excited I can't control yeah. myself. Now I'm going to just <laughs> one big long sentence really fast. I wonder if that was because, you know, when you look at the law and the prophets and, and, and the Jewish religion, that was a lot about what God expected of them. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what God expects of you. God expects you to bring the sacrifice. God expects you to, you know, all these expectations that they had to live up to, that they had to, to check off the list. And this Ephesians flips this, especially this first section here, flips it entirely 180 degrees. And Paul is saying, look at everything God has done for you. Yeah. And, and one of the things is we, we, we were talking about this just before we went on, on air. What is it for a podcast? Just before we turn the mics on. Before we turn the mics on. Yeah. We were talking about that and how, you know, when Christianity comes along, when the church is birthed and the gospel goes forth, this would have been something that was unbelievably radical to the Jewish world of that day. Because to them, and, and part of the legalism of that day was, it, it was about what you brought to the table. It's about what you came with. And so the Jews of that day are looking at this brand new that's the word, mm-hmm. the brand new sect of Christianity, like you guys are are upending what's always been. And what Paul is saying is, eh, wrong, absolutely not. All of your blessings are in him, but you notice the words that he uses? Before the foundations of the world, God had this plan. This is not new. It's not something that Christianity is imposing. Mm-hmm. This has been God's plan from before <laughs> the launch of the galaxies, Right. In him, before the foundations of the world, he uses words like predestined. He continues to go back to discussing what his will is from the creation. And it's saying, this isn't new. God's plan has always been about the redemption of his people by grace through his son in him. Mm -hmm. That has always been the plan. This isn't new. And so, the Jews, which would have been offended, greatly offended by the notion that salvation comes as a free gift, what Paul is saying is, you've missed it. It's always been this way. Yeah. <laughs> so the first clause, we talked about the three clauses. The first clause would be verses three through six. So um, right, you'll, you'll notice that in this passage, there are three different places where he talks about his will. And the first one, 
you, you find in, at the end of verse 5, and it says, according to the purpose of his will, then down when you get to verse 9, it'll say the mystery of his will, and when you get to verse 11, it talks about the counsel of his will. Mm-hmm. And so starting with that first one, the purpose of his will, the ESV translates it purpose. Mm-hmm. It's not purpose. No. That, that's a bad translation. It is. It literally means the good pleasure of his will. It's the delight. It's what, what is God excited about? What right. is like when he brings about his creation? What is he like? All right, this excites me. This fires me up. This brings me delight. And everything in that clause is when God writes the story, mm. this is what fires him up. This is the good delight of his will. And what is it? It's blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And so it's like, whew, that's yes. not even a complete sentence. We're still, yes. we're still ready to go somewhere. He, he's halfway through his run on sentence, <laughs> but we'll stop there. But let's just stop there because in that, this is the good pleasure of his will. What, what did you notice there? That you are chosen before the foundation of the world, that you would be holy, that you would be blameless, innocent, righteous, radiant, that you would be adopted to him as sons. That's what gives God good pleasure. Yeah. When it talks about the good pleasure of his will, that's what gets him excited. Man, there's going to come a day when Sam and Mark, even though they're a mess right now, that's true. <laughs> they are going to be holy and blameless, chosen by me before the foundation of the world to be adopted as my mm-hmm. sons. That brings me good pleasure. That's my will. And so it's like Revelation says that our names were written down in the book of life mm-hmm. before the foundations of the world, before the oldest star in the heavens was placed there after your name was written in the book of life. You were God's purpose for creation, your redemption to be adopted as sons. That's wild. But that brings him good pleasure. I think also to me, just in verse three, where he says he's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's, you know, the picture to me there is God isn't withholding anything that he has given us literally every blessing that's that's possible in christ that that it's it's almost like this i have this mental picture of this just this tidal wave of blessing he's giving everything to you he's not withholding anything this isn't a carrot and a stick this is god providing this overwhelming thing of grace to us and that the just that whole image this is on an epic scale this is you know, this is this gigantic wave of blessing, and it's this choosing that happened before he said, "Let there be light." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's stunning. It is a. It really is an epic tale. I mean, you talked about what the sort of Western view of God is. This idea that God is up there with his fingers crossed, saying, "I hope everything turns out okay with my creation," and how that's really a, f- a false image. Yeah, and I also think part of that is that he's out there. You know, that God's somehow looking down and going, "All right, folks, do the best you can." You know, yeah. I'm pu- I'm rooting for you. Yeah. I'm pulling for you. There's a there's a bar, a threshold you've got to reach before you can come hang out with me. And don't disappoint. Don't disappoint me. I've got I've got, I'm counting on you. I've got confidence in yeah. you. You can make it. And yet in here, it's saying that God's good pleasure, that his desire, the thing that makes him excited is this idea that he would make us holy 
and blameless, that it's not dependent on us. Hmm. <sighs> that, takes a, that takes a weight off your shoulders. But think you know? about what that means for his character, because that's kind of exciting all to itself. That, that means when God wakes up and he says, okay, I'm this omnipotent creator who can do absolutely anything that I want. What's going to bring me good pleasure? And the answer is to just give and to pour out these blessings on other people and to make them holy and blameless and to, to adopt them as sons. It's entirely selfless. So it's like, here's mm-hmm. God's purpose statement for why I'm going to, to bring about creation, and it's not so they can serve me, which right. is every other religion, right? Right. So they can serve me because I know it's I want to do this for them. Mm-hmm. That's, that's wild. It's, you know, the, dif- the, the misunderstanding of who God is it gets right back to the beginning of Scripture. We may have talked about this before, but when Satan comes to Adam and Eve mm-hmm. and says, you can be like God, they had an impression of what that meant. They hadn't got to see all the different aspects of God because God <laughs> redemption wasn't necessary before the fall. But when Satan says, you can be like God, what does he mean? What he means is you can be powerful. You can make it all about you. You can be in charge. You can seize the throne And then God comes and says, you want to know what it's like to be God? I want you to look at Jesus. That's Mm -hmm. God in the flesh. Now what does it mean to be God? It doesn't mean everything revolves around me. To be like God means you go to a cross. You lay yourself down. You pour out for others. You want to be like God? Sacrifice (laughs) greatly out of love for others. And right here from the beginning, his purpose statement is, you want to know what's going to bring me good pleasure? To pour myself out to bless my children. He's the hero of this story. He's mm-hmm. created this. You know, this is the story that he's written so that he can come in and be to us everything that we need. He's the, he's the hero of the story, of this epic tale. It's not us. We're not the one out there tilting at the dragons. We're not able to do that. <laughs> you know, Everybody wants to be the guy with the sword on his back, but God is saying, it's not a sword on your back that wins this fight. It's nails through your hand. Mm. Yeah. You know, is that what you want? Let me show you how you win this fight. You know? It's it's really it's powerful. It's beautiful, and and we would we would never choose it this way. But you know, we've talked before about how the fall is kind of a it's a hidden blessing in some sense because mm-hmm. without the fall, we'd never know the extent of God's love. We'd never know the extent of His mercy. We'd never know the extent of His holiness, His jealousy, His response, how much He loves us, the extremes to which He would go to right. to save us. And the main point of our existence, and we miss this because we only look at what's right in front of our face as we go through life, there's an eternal period of time, an eternal past period of time where God existed. He's, he was the only thing that existed right. in the Trinity. Right. On the other side of our brief existence, there's going to be an eternity of God with his people, right? Mm-hmm. This little existence that we have really is, as the Bible says, <laughs> like a mist or a vapor. Yeah. And the whole reason why it's come along is because God is looking to create a bride for his son and to make his son the hero. And here's what's wonderful about that. Let's suppose that Adam and Eve had never fallen. Right. His hope of salvation is in him. You know how we're reading Ephesians and it's Mm -hmm. in Christ, in Christ, Mm -hmm. in Christ. If the fall never happened, every one of the, it would be in Sam. In Sam, in Sam. <laughs> That's slavery. Yes, it is. But, but now I have nothing to boast in, but my, the love that he gives me, he's shown me, is absolutely secure. 
absolutely secure. I can't lose it. It's not contingent upon my perfect obedience anymore. I'm free from that. And he's given me, by his grace, the gift of salvation purely by his goodness. And he is the only hero. There's nothing for us to boast about. He is the only hero. And it says that he's predestined us to adoption as to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. You know, I'm a parent, you're a parent. And if we had a child that, that needed nothing, that there was nothing we could do for them, how would we ever show them that we loved them? How would they ever know that we loved them? If all I'm doing is sitting back going, I love you, son. And son is saying back to me, that's great, dad. I'll let you know if I need anything. No, my mm-hmm. kids, you know, I, look, I changed dirty diapers. I wiped runny noses. I got barfed on, you know, it's like <laughs> I did the dad thing when they were younger and, and now my kids are grown, but we're still involved. We're still yeah. helping them out with advice and support and counsel and things, but, and material things too. But my children would tell you that they know that their mom and dad love them because mom and dad have always been there for them, that they've always been taking care of them. And that's what God is saying here as part of this is that, look, you know, I love you, my child, Mm -hmm. because of everything that I've done for you. Yep. I mean, we know this from human experience, but if I were to tell you the people that I love most and who I know love me most... It's not the people that I've had simple, easy, happy-go-lucky times with. That's true. The closest relationships I have are with people that have been with me through the depths of hell. Yeah. You know, rough situations. You know, it's it's my wife. It's friends that were there when I was a mess. It's friends when I'd made a, a, a mess of my life who were there for me, who walked with me through those seasons. That's when you get to know someone's love. And so when Jesus comes along... You know, he says, greater love has no man than this. In other words, the greatest form of love you can ever experience is when someone is willing to lay down their life for you, who says, you know what? I'm willing to give up everything on my end for you. Mm -hmm. And when God goes to write about his story, when he says, you know, this is the good pleasure I want to create and I want to show my creation a love that's beyond anything they could possibly imagine, that's where he goes. And he's going to be the hero that expresses the greatest form of love, which is to lay down his life Mm -hmm. for me, for you, for everybody who's listening. When God begins to write the story, he is the hero who's coming to rescue the wayward bride. Now, we want to say, well, why? Why would he do it this way? And, you know, we kind of instinctively know that. If you look at like a story like a Harry Potter, you know, you, you, you don't get mad at J.K. Rowling for writing Voldemort into existence. No, Do you? You don't. You 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 get mad at Voldemort. Yeah. But without a Voldemort, the Harry Potter, who is the delight of her imagination, who she wants to be the hero, is not the hero. Right. Right? There's there's no victory. There's no there's no expression of love. There's no great sacrifice. There's no triumphant moment. If she'd have made everybody just nice, you wouldn't read the book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's no hero in it. A bunch of nice children went to school and studied magic. The end. The end. La, 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 la. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not thinking that's going to be a bestseller. No, it's probably not. We know in our heart that there's, 
there's heroes and you want redemption. And God has written that in our hearts to know that instinctively. We've been looking at this first clause, verses three through six, in which we see that, that the in him here is his choosing us. He chose us in Christ, mm-hmm. that we would be holy and blameless before him. That is a something that happened in eternity past, looking forward to us today and what we go. But then we come down to verse seven, and it's, um, what, it's verse seven through 10, right? Yep. That's the second in him, and that gets into redemption. Yep, and he, this whole passage is kind of summed up as the mystery of his will. Because now he's looking at the mess, and he's saying, okay, how are we going to take this mess? He's anticipating the fall. He's, he knows what's going to happen, and he's saying, okay, how am I going to make this beautiful? That's the mystery. And so let's read this together. Verse 7, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. And so another one of the things that the ESV does... (laughs) Huh. We're picking on the ESV. We're picking today. on the ESV. We should, we should, when it yeah. says the mystery of his will according to his purpose, it's the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he set forth in Christ. And so what it's getting at is you look at it, how in the world can we redeem this mess? Is there any hope? And one of the things that's, that's fascinating, every philosophy on the planet, if you're an atheist listening to this, an agnostic, a Hindu, a Muslim, a Christian, a Jew, it doesn't matter. Everybody can agree on this. We look at the world and we say, something's not right. That's absolutely true. Absolutely Every true. religion, every false religion that's ever come has, is trying to answer this question. Why is there pain? Why is there death? How do we make sense of this? And all of this is a response to it. So the atheist comes and says, it's just the way it is. So eat, drink, be merry, get as much out of life, you know, see if you can die with the most toys because this right. is just the way it is. It's miserable. And then you die. Congratulations. That's probably not being charitable, but essentially that's where you land. All these other religions are saying, you know, you got to be good enough. You got to be good enough. You got to strive. You got to, you know, make yourself better. Pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. And they all know it doesn't work. Like, no matter how hard we try, we continue to fail. We never live up to our own standards. Our identities, we set in these things, and we're constantly feeling like we're failing at them. Mm -hmm. Christianity is the only one that comes and says, there's a great mystery here. You're never and yourself going to be good enough. But the God of the universe is going to come and read this. Through his blood. What? Mm. Through his blood? Like, God is going to bleed. That's pretty mysterious. <laughs> the spirit is going to become flesh. He's going to bleed. He's going to take punishment. He is going to forgive trespasses according to the riches of his grace. That word according to in the Greek is kata. It literally means like a coming down. It's, his riches are coming down on you of grace. He's lavishing on you all this wisdom and insight to make known to you this mystery. And it's like he's, the, the mystery of his will is this. He has made a way. Mm-hmm. He's, he has made a way for us to walk away from our failures. There's no one on the planet that's not asking, why is there pain? Why is there death? And this is what's wild about this good pleasure of God. He sends his son, and God is going to take up that pain. Mm-hmm. God 
is going to take up that death. Why? He's going to take all of our sin and clothe us with his righteousness. He's going to suffer death so that we can have life. He's going to take on a life of poverty so that he can give us an everlasting inheritance. He is going to set aside all the privileges of the divine, of heavenly praises and angels and everything else to experience contempt, to to experience our judgment and our hatred. Why? So that we can receive the embrace and the delight of God. He's going to be rejected so we can be accepted. That is mysterious. He is changing places with us all out of this abundance of the glorious nature of his grace that's coming down to us. That's mysterious. And it's awesome. He's essentially chosen you for a great outcome. And then we felt. (laughs) Then we, you know, we're not going to achieve that outcome on our own. And it, and it is in fact, this glorious mystery, which is again, according to his good pleasure, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's the, you know, the answer is keeps coming back to the same answer, which is why did God do this? Why did God do all these things? Why does God do this? Because this is what pleases him to do. This is, you know, nobody's, nobody forces God to do anything. So this mm. is the good pleasure of his will. And it's just cool. And so even in, in that same verse where it talks about, you know, that, that in all wisdom and insight, he's making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which is set forth in Christ. And then there's another thing where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take up issue with the ESV again. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to the editors of the ESV, but I think you messed this up, and it's a big mess up here. So he says he set all of this forth in Christ, and then where it says, as a plan for the fullness of time, man, we read right past that and go, okay, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. It, literally, that word plan is oikonomos. It's where we get the, the word economy. It literally means as the one who runs the household, as the one who, who's in control of this family, for, and the fullness of time. It's literally the completion of time. And so what it's saying is he's got this amazing plan that is set forth in Christ. All of those blessings that we read that are hidden in Christ, that is what the manager of this house who is going to adopt us as his children is doing for the completion of time. What does he mean? He's got his eye on that day when we step into eternity and we get to be in the family of God experiencing the the abundance of his praise and glory and peace and all of his attributes pouring into us forever. That is what he's got his mind on. And he is managing his household for that day. The idea of the fullness of time, that's a phrase that, that I don't think people necessarily grasp but you said it means the completion that it that's when he brings all these things about so god's end game if you'll forgive me for my you know gamer speak but it's it's the end game it's what what is where is god taking this he's got this story he's got this plan where is he taking us in the end when his plan is complete it says that he's going to unite all things in him things in heaven and things on earth so the ultimate goal of god's plan is the perfect unity of all things in him that's right you know to me that is as big a mystery as any part of this i mean you talk about the mysterious part of god changing places with his people that, that the spirit would take on flesh and bleed for his people that these riches would pour down on his people that all these mysterious things and yet in the end i'm like the the biggest mystery is that we would all be one yeah that we that he wants us to all be unified so what is god's desire for you and I and everybody that's listening, 
His desire is that we would be united as one in him. One body. Yeah. One body, one mission. That's where, that's where it, the title came from. It, and there are so many divisions in our churches, in our country, in our world. Mm-hmm. There are people that, that eye each other suspiciously, that don't trust one another. That, that, and, and I'm not suggesting, folks, you have to go out and trust everybody. This is not like, but ultimately, God's design for the whole plan of creation is that eventually we would all be one yeah. in him. So in, in John 17, when Jesus offers up the high priestly prayer, it's right before he's going to go to the cross. You know, he's, he's in the, on the Mount of Olives. He's praying to the Lord. He knows what's coming at him. You know, he's got this freight train of justice that yeah. he's going to step in front of for us. And what, what is he praying? He's not saying, oh, me, 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 me. He makes this prayer, and this is a big part of it, where he says, Lord, I want them to be perfected in unity even as you and I are perfected in unity. Mm-hmm. That's unimaginable to yeah. us because he's with the Father, the Trinity. We can't wrap our minds around three persons in one God to be that united to where you know one is, one is equal to the other. I mean, I can't, I can't even explain it well. But he's saying, I want that for them. Mm-hmm. I want them. It's like in marriage where we become one flesh, right? You know, mm-hmm. the husband and the wife, they become one flesh. They become one. Right. That's what he's inviting us to, to become one with him. We're, we're, the whole purpose of creation it ends with a wedding where we are being, we're, we're the bride of Christ. It's mm-hmm. the wedding supper of the Lamb. We are being called to become one with God. And we sit around now thinking, man, I just wish I knew what God was thinking. I wish I knew, <laughs> I wish I knew God. And yet there's this process along the way. And, and once again, I just want to touch on the fact that when we look out and we see a divided church, mm-hmm. when we see God's people divided amongst themselves, yeah. that is so far from his, that's the absolute yeah. antithesis of his plan. Absolutely. You want to know what breaks his heart? It's disunity among his people. Yeah. We should all, and this, this is one of the things, you know, one of the, th- you hear people will, that will say um, Christianity is exclusive. And to some extent, if you're not in him, it is exclusive. You right. know, you have to be in him to receive these blessings. It's very right. clear on that. But one of the things that I love about Christianity is it's extraordinarily inclusive. Mm-hmm. You know, you could take a, a room full of people and they will all have chief passions. You know, somebody might love music. Somebody might love politics. Somebody might love, you know, military strategy. Who knows? People have all kinds of tech, gaming, whatever. Video games. Video I, games. I'm, I'm the world's oldest gamer, by the way. And so no, a, right. a person who's a video game geek, let's just, yes. let's just okay. throw out the label. All right. I'm there. <laughs> who are they going to be? Who are they going to be attracted to? They're going to look for other people that are gamers because yeah. that's their chief passion, right? It is. When Jesus becomes your chief passion, if he becomes your highest value, your, the thing that you treasure the most, now all of a sudden you can take that entire room of the football player, the band nerd, the gamer, the, yep. the prep, whatever, and if they all love Jesus the most and that's their, their highest value, their highest thing that they hold precious, that's going to be the thing that unites them. Nations, tribes, political factions, if Jesus is our number one banner that we are most loyal to, it unifies us. All the other stuff becomes secondary. There's nothing else in this world that we can lift up above 
this world's experience. So are you saying that, that unifies? Like are you that. saying that you don't want my battle tag so you can join me in multiplayer games? Is that what you're saying? I'm, I'm not sure I even understood what you just okay, said. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but your but, battle tags. My battle tag. Battle is, is Battle.net is a gaming service from Blizzard Entertainment, the World of Warcraft, Overwatch, Diablo people. Is uh, that like dog tags? Yeah, it's similar. It, it, if anybody cares, a battle tag is something that identifies you, but anonymously. Like my battle tag isn't Mark. You know, it's a. It's, Got it. So you you can create your own battle tag. You could be Samuelius or something like that. Whatever you wanted to samurai. be, samurai. Samurai. I'm sure that one's taken. Um, you know, you could be Samurai One Forty Five. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, and the, and, and uh, every, right now everybody is regretting that I asked. Yes, they are. But that's how that's how you connect with other people on the gaming service, and you can join each other in multiplayer games. That's all it is. Right now, as we're recording this, we're right on the backside of the conflict with Iran where the the general was blown up and Iran lobbed some missiles back at a US base and everybody is was kind of fearful and it seems like it's dying down hopefully it will still be uh calmed down yeah. by the time this airs but you think okay here's the United States of America and we're Americans right and here's Iran and there's Iranians but I recently came across a uh, a story where the fastest growing church in the world, where revival is the hottest, is in the nation of Iran. And one of my thoughts as all this was going on was don't get in, I hope this doesn't disrupt the explosion of the church. I want my brothers and sisters over there to be safe. I want them to continue to fall in love mm-hmm. with Jesus. I don't want this to get in the way. And what I found, which is, you know, this didn't, wasn't always the case with me, as somebody who's very patriotic. I found me placing a greater loyalty to the church than even a nation. Yeah. That's hard for a lot of people. I mean, there's probably people wrestling with hearing that right now. Sure. But my allegiance, my commonality with those Iranians that lift high the name of Jesus Mm -hmm. is deeper than my allegiance to this nation. It should be. And the Bible calls us to that. It says that our citizenship is in heaven first. And that's that's a big calling, and, and that doesn't mean that you can't love America. No, it doesn't I mean you totally can't be patriotic. It can't be you know that you can't you know. Yeah. Oh, you don't like freedom, then? No, no, no. We're talking <laughs> about the fact that there's that true freedom is found under a different banner than the yeah. stars and stripes. And and here's what I know. Yeah. If the army of Christ advanced mightily in Iran, that's a much better story for America than if the army of the United States does. Yeah. If that nation is set ablaze with revival and Christ is in the hearts of those people, there will be peace. There will be. So we've gone through the clause about the good pleasure of God's will and the mystery of his will. And now we're coming down to the final clause in the section that we're looking at today, which is the counsel of his will. And that starts in verse 11, where it talks about an inheritance. That's right. So in him, there it is again, in him. We've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, right? So this, is, this has been the plan all along. We're predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. There it is. And so what this is getting into, if the first one is, man, this is what, this, this, this fires me up. This is what I'm delighted about. And here's my will. I want you to be adopted, sons and daughters, holy and blameless. And then the mystery of his will is how are we going to bring this about through blood and redemption and, and forgiveness and mm-hmm. bringing all things united under me. That's the mystery of how that's happening. Finally, we get to the counsel of his will. 
and he begins to lay it out, what this looks like. And so it says, so that we who were first to hope in Christ, so there it is, he wants you to hope in Christ, that you might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so this is laying out, okay, now what is that going to look like in, in your daily walk? Well, one, it's to hope in him, mm-hmm. right? All of our hopes are in him to the praise of his glory. And then he goes on and he's kind of explaining, okay, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed. That's, that's your action. <laughs> you hope in him, you believe in him. And then who does the work here? You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance. So if you're a believer who walks on eggshells thinking, oh, I've got to prove myself. I've, I've got to be good enough. I've got to be good enough. I've got mm-hmm. to be good enough. Notice what this is saying. You believed what God has promised, and now who does the work? Who is the guarantee? Who's the guaranteer? Yeah, it's the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee? Hear that. Be liberated by that. He is the guarantee of your inheritance. Is he going to fail? No, No, he's not going to fail until you acquire possession of it. So it's like, (laughs) it's like he is this (laughs) Fort Knox. All of your inheritance is so locked up in him. There's not a chance of it being robbed. There's not a chance of it being stripped away. And he is going to hold on to it until the fullness of time, at which time that inheritance, the Holy Spirit who is guaranteeing to you mm-hmm. is going to deliver it over to you when you acquire it all to the praise of his glory. How does the counsel of his will differ from the mystery of his will and the good pleasure of his will? What would, what would the, how do they, how, how should somebody understand? Cause when we think of counsel, we think of somebody else giving you advice. Yeah. I would counsel mm-hmm. you, Sam, to behave a certain way, Sure, but nobody gives God advice. So what is the counsel of his will? You know, in the Bible where it talks about, you know, to preach the full counsel of God. Okay. Uh, so it's like the fullness of the wisdom, all the ways that this is laid out. So it's not like, hey, here's some advice, counsel of his will. Mm-hmm. It's like the totality of his wisdom and the way that it's laid out. So the, the, the complete accomplishment of his plan. That's right. That's a way of saying and, it. And so what is that going to look like for you? Because in the other ones, he says, you know, here's, here's what brings me delight. Right. You're going to be holy and blameless and adopted sons. And you're like, okay, well, how do I do that? That has nothing to do with me. Right. Well, it doesn't have anything to do with you. Yes. <laughs> so Good then, point. Yes. then you get to the mystery of his will and you're like, okay, well, how do, how's the mystery of his will? And it's the shedding of blood and the forgiveness. And I have nothing to do with that again. Right. <laughs> this is all him. But then he gets to the counsel of his will and he's like saying, okay, this is what the whole plan is going to look like. I'm laying out the full counsel here. What is that going to look like? And then he begins to explain how it looks like for us to participate in that. Right. And it's, we hope in him. We believe in him. We hear the word of truth and we trust in it. And then, by faith, period, the promise is sealed for us. And let me make a, a small Bible nerd grammatical point for people listening to us when we talk about being the first to hope in Christ. Hope, as it's used in the Bible, it's a translation of a Greek word that actually means sort of, a, it's, not, it's not a hope like, oh, 
I hope I get a bicycle for Christmas. But it's this hope, meaning this expectation that, that when we say that mm-hmm. our hope is in Christ, what we're saying is that our expectation and, it, and it, there's an attitude. There's a, there's an aspect of hopefulness to it, meaning that we're looking forward to something, yeah. but it's not with this. Oh, I hope Jesus saves me. Yeah, you know, it's right. not, it's not that kind of Good thing. Point. It, it is point. a, it is a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a confident looking forward to it's an mm-hmm. expectation. Yeah. So, and hope is powerful. Hope is, it drives you deeper into faith. It drives you deeper into love. When you're going through hard seasons, hope is what says, I know who my God is. I know how all this plays out. And I'm going to hope in him, knowing his character, knowing his plan, which he's revealed to you in Ephesians 3, 3 to 14 here, that you can absolutely, even in the darkest of seasons, have hope. It's this confidence that he is going to work this out. So one of the other things that I see repeated here several times is the phrase, to the praise of his glory. Is there significance to the fact that he's repeating that as well? Yeah. So we we get back to this idea when he lays down his will, his good pleasure is that you're going to be adopted, that you're going to be holy and blameless. And it's all going to come all at his expense, his blood, his forgiveness. He's going to pay it all. All the blessings are found in him. Your inheritance, everything is in him. And then it concludes, it, it says this repeatedly, to the praise of his glory or to the praise of his glorious grace. And and what that means is when God sees you basking in his goodness, that brings him great delight and glory. So there's a line by John Piper that I love that I think kind of sums up the heart behind this where it says, God is most glorified by us when we are most satisfied in him. Mm-hmm. It's like, when your child climbs up into your lap and says, I love you, Daddy, oh, it's yeah. just the best. Yeah. It's that kind of heart where God is looking at us and saying, I want you to find your satisfaction in Christ all over the place. I want you to find your inheritance. I want you to find your purpose, your blessing. I want you to find all of it in him. And when you do so, I will be so delighted that you found satisfaction in my son. Mm. Well, folks, that uh, covers the first sentence in the book of Ephesians, because this was all just one. <laughs> this was just one long in the Greek. It's one long run on sentence. You know, uh, but we've got to the end of Paul's sentence as we finished up the first 14. Um, again, I hope that this uh, is a kind of thing that really catches your imagination, uh, because I really believe, especially if you're somebody who attends Rio Vista Church here in Fort Lauderdale, and you're going through the One Body, One Mission series with us, I really believe that this will give you a fuller understanding of the book of Ephesians, um, and that it will it will make your your time in going through the sermons a much richer experience and a lot more meaningful for you. So join us again next time when we continue with our study in the book of Ephesians. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and you will both subscribe to the podcast and listen regularly. You can find out more about Out of Water, catch up on past episodes, and access show notes at our website, riovistachurch.com slash outofwater.